Hello, it is Thursday, April 22nd. I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is another edition of the Daily Come On Now MMA podcast. Start off talking about the UFC 261 pre-fight press conference. It was kind of from a media standpoint and from a pressing the UFC and the Jacksonville mayor and Florida governor. It was a disappointment. Um, it it was a there were a lot of opportunities to ask questions that would have pinned down some answers that we haven't re- received. Uh, questions that I think everyone in the MMA space should be interested and concerned with, but these questions went unasked. To say it was a friendly environment would be accurate, I think, and. Again, it's disappointing. Um, I, I'm, I've been critical of the MMA media. I, I'm a part of it, but I'm also critical of it. And I think we need to be um, because I don't think the MMA media, at least at these events and the access media, do a good job of pressing anyone that needs to be pressed. Overall, I should say, uh, in sweeping statements, some people do press when necessary or when they get the chance. Aaron Bronstetter is a good example of that. He He's unafraid to call Dana White out on certain things when it needs to be done, but he is by far the exception. And I understand why, but it doesn't mean I can't voice my opinion on it. And the, and the reason why is access. These folks want access or believe they need access to do their jobs. And I agree with that if, if it's the video people. But other than that, access, I think, is a perk more than a necessity for for anyone but uh, video media. Because video, they they want the video from the event. I mean, you got to be at the event to do that. Okay, that's fine. Anyway, what I would have asked had I had the opportunity, and I don't think I will ever get the opportunity because... And I just don't think I will. Um, so one thing I would ask of the Florida governor and Dana White was the anti-transgender sports bill, which was passed by the House in Florida. Um, the UFC pretends to support LGBTQ rights, but here they are going to Florida where the House has pr- passed a pretty draconian anti-transgender sport bill will it will it get passed overall we don't know yet it might be tabled but regardless it was passed in the house so what i've asked about that um we have the app that fans have to use or paper that fans have to fill out to get into the arena um basically it's going to ask a bunch of questions about health covid19 i assume and so what if someone lies on that app? What, what, what can be done? What will be done? Is the app going to be used for contact tracing? And if so, are the folks that use the app going to know that? Because I think some people would be concerned about sharing that kind of information or having that kind of uh, access to them and their, and their goings on. And then there's also the the data sharing part of the app. What data can the app get? What do they do with it? Do they sell it? Do they share it with anyone? These are all questions that 
you know, many people I think would want to know and should know. Um, But again, these questions went unasked. Um, Another big one is what's the COVID-19 protocol for fighters, media and staff? We know the protocol for the fans is we're going to give you a mask. You don't have to wear it. So basically it's a free for all there. But what about the fighters, media and staff? What's the protocol? I asked the state, got nothing. I asked the UFC, got nothing. I asked Jacksonville, got nothing. No one's answered me. And I think that's a concern. So the another question would be to the COVID-19 is what if someone in the crowd or yeah, in the crowd, a, a, a buying ticket um, a f- fan, what if they get COVID-19? Now we know the disclaimer on the back of the ticket pretty much says tough shit, but it would be good to hear that said as opposed to just some generic wording on the back of a ticket. You know, force White to acknowledge what's going to happen if someone gets COVID-19 at this at this event and tries to get something from the UFC from that. Or worst case scenario, someone gets COVID-19 at the event and they die or someone in their family gets it then and dies. What what recourse do they have? Now the ticket says tough shit, but make White say that. Make him come out and tell these fans that, you know, we're not making you wear masks. We're not testing anyone. And if you get it, you can't touch us because it's written on the back of the ticket. So make make that, you know, no one reads these tickets. No one reads anything that they they get. You know, it's like reading the uh, the disclaimers on your on your internet provider or something. Very few people do it. But in this case, the repercussions are if you get COVID nineteen and you know pass it on and you you die, someone else dies, you have no recourse with the UFC. So I would like to hear that said as opposed to just read and reported on that. But, you know, when Dana White says things, that's a good headline. It carries weight. So if Dana White says tough shit to anyone who gets COVID-19 is your headline, that's going to be news. Again, did not get asked. Um, what about Rose Nama Eunice's better dead than red comments? While we all know they were stupid and she's stood by them, has White heard anything from the, the, the Chinese UFC market where they're trying to break in? Has there been pushback? We know the NBA got pushback on things and, and the NBA players, most of the coaches, everybody kind of towed the line and didn't want to rock the boat in that in that case. So, again, a simple question that could have been asked and answered. Instead, we just got the generic questions about the fights. Yeah, that's what some of the fans are interested in. Most of the fans are interested in, but we're not in a we're not in the same kind of environment. And if you're going to be a journalist, do journalism. You know, don't just ask questions that the UFC wants you to ask to promote the fight. So from that standpoint, it was truly disappointing to see that any tough question that could have been asked 
went unasked, which good timing to bring us the next subject up. Dana White was in the uh, Washington Times and speaking to the story was based on something he spoke to uh, Colin Cowherd about and um, Cowherd asked White if he really if the UFC needs the media. And here's what White said. I'm very combative with the media because they're full of shit. And every time I read something, it makes me crazy. So I don't read anything anymore. I try to stay away from it, which we know is bullshit because he made himself a self-serving video about the media being wrong for the the COVID-19 stuff last year. Was it last year? Whenever. But he made a video based on all kinds of media stuff. So come on now. We know. I wouldn't say that we don't need the media. I think that there are a lot of people out there that have a fan base and a following that have their own opinions or perspectives on things that people want to see and hear. So yeah, I think we do need the media. Here's the problem with today, determining who's media and who's not. Anybody who can create a fucking website now considers themselves media. You know what I mean? Or if they have an Instagram, now they, they can become media. Most of these people are full of shit you ha- and have no place writing or talking about anything but there are some real good media people out there still. And so my question here would be, who's good media and who's bad media? And I think we all know who is good media and who's bad media. Good media is PR. Bad media is bringing up things that the UFC doesn't want you to bring up. That this event might be unsafe, might be ill-advised. That's bad media showing you the numbers of Florida's COVID-19 positivity test rates. That would probably be bad media. Pointing out the fact that the UFC allegedly supports LGBTQ rights, but then goes into a state that just passed an anti-transgender bill and doesn't acknowledge it. That probably would be bad media. So we know we know who's good, bad, good and bad media. The guys that, ye- that White yells at, and gals are bad media because they're asking tough questions and exposing some of the UFC's shady goings on. The folks that are asking, how was your camp? How's this fight going to go? That's good media. I would flip that and say it's the other way around, but what do I know? I'm just bad media. So come on. Dana White wants the media to do PR. That's all he wants. And, I mean, I understand that. No one wants to get shitty things written about them. But when you do shitty things and they get exposed, yeah, they're going to get written about, especially when you lie about them in, in, uh, in other spaces and other times when you're asked about them, which brings us to the next topic. Uh, Ari Emanuel was the subject of a New Yorker profile. uh, And in that profile, the fight Island thing got brought up. So, Dana White in through uh, in the early time would say that he had an island secured and that the implications was you know I'm going to provide this island we're going to have the events there and it's my island and it was it was really over exaggerated and almost funny at, at how ridiculous it was and then you find out the island is really just Abu Dhabi where the UFC has had other events so it's not anything spectacular. But it's also not anything that White secured. And this came up in the story. Um, that 
they were trying to find a place to put on the fights. And Ari Emanuel, um, who is friends with uh, Khaldun al-Mabarak, is a partner in Abu Dhabi and an advisor to Mohammed bin Zayed, said, um, hey, we, why don't you come over here? We'll get, and here's where the quote is. Why don't you have the UFC come here? We'll create a bubble for you. And then everything got started. And here's what got started. And, and I think we knew this, but it's just good to hear Ari Emanuel say it. Um, and that fact was that Abu Dhabi, and this is from Damon Martin's story on MMA fighting, Abu Dhabi picked up the tab after building the arena as well as providing, quote, private planes, food, housing, testing facilities, and medical staff. And then, quote, well, I'm sorry, Abu Dhabi also reportedly paid the UFC for each fight card, quote, at rates that compensated for the absence of ticket sales. So not only did the UFC pay for nothing, they got paid for putting on these events by, by Abu Dhabi. And the reason that Abu Dhabi did this, which makes sense, was that they wanted to show the world that they could hold the events safely and hope to bring other business and other sporting events into Abu Dhabi that they wouldn't have to pay for. So the UFC just kind of struck when the iron was hot with Abu Dhabi and they got this deal. And Dana White, according to this, had nothing to do with it. And it's just another example of White trying to build this myth about how good he is and how much he gets done when the reality is Ari Emanuel's buddy provided all this, got the ball rolling. Not Dana White, not the UFC, but Ari Emanuel. But we don't hear about that. And I, find, I think this is a little funny because... When we do hear about it, it's from the guy who, you know, actually owns a good chunk of the UFC. Well, WME, IMG, Endeavor now owns all of the UFC. So it's funny that White tries to build up these myths about himself. And then the guy who is above him just blows that myth out of the water with a, a, a story in The New Yorker. So that that amused me. It amused me greatly, actually. Um, on to something a little different here. Sean O'Malley. Sean O'Malley is not going to let this Cheeto Vera thing go by, uh, by the sounds of things. And he spoke to uh, Brendan Schaub on Food Truck Diaries. And here's what he had to say, because he's still going on that Cheeto Vera did not beat him, which if you saw the fight, Cheeto Vera beat him, kicked his leg to shit, and he couldn't stand, and then the fight got stopped. So here's what he said. I was very upset with Rogan's commentary on my fight. He was just saying how Cheeto kicked my leg off me, beat my leg up. You go watch that. I kick his leg way harder, way more than he kicks mine. Like if you watch the fight, I watched it a lot in slow motion where he kicked my nerve. I know how to defend a leg kick. A lot of people going into that Almeida fight, that was the big thing. Thomas is going to kick his leg. I know how to fucking defend a leg kick. I know how to check. I know how to pull out. When I was fighting Cheeto, I pulled out and literally his big toe hit that nerve and I got dropped. Joe said, quote, it happens all the time. It happened to Michael Chandler. It doesn't happen all the time. It ha hasn't happened since my fight. So the thing is, I don't care how many times O'Malley tries to, to spin this narrative that Vera didn't beat him. He was throwing leg kicks. They were landing. 
The low leg kick, the calf kick, is designed to hit that nerve and immobilize the leg. That is exactly what happened. I'm, I'm getting sick of talking about this, but this asshole has got to keep bringing it up. So his big toe hit the target. Well, it hit the target. It immobilized his leg. He fell down. He got TKO'd. Fight over. I, it's, it's, there's no shame in losing a fight. There's shame in denying that you lost the fight. There's shame in saying that you want your knockouts to go viral and that's why you walked away from somebody you should have stopped, Thomas Almeida. And the fight went on more longer than it should have and you gave him an opportunity to get back in it because you're focused on viral videos more than winning a fight. That's kind of shameful. But there's no shame in losing. It happens. Almost everyone loses. It's what you do after you lose that gives us a lot of information about you. And the information we're getting here from Sean O'Malley is he's a pretty shitty loser. So, I mean, just own up to the loss, move on. Is this going to be the, was that going to be the only loss of Sean O'Malley's career? I highly doubt it. If he gets knocked out or stopped again, is there going to be an excuse? By the sounds of this, 100%. Because he just can't let this go. Maybe it's age. Maybe it's hubris. Maybe it's a mix of all those things. But someone in his camp really needs to sit him down and go, you know what, man? Move on. Move on. If this is something that you're going you're gonna to focus on for the rest of your career, you're never going to achieve greatness. Because you can't put things behind you. That's how people get better. You figure out what went wrong. You fix it, you move forward. Or you just move forward if there was nothing to fix. If this just happened, Luke, a freak, something like that, then move on. But to focus on it and deny that it happened when everyone saw it happen is childish and it doesn't bode well for the future of Sean O'Malley. It does not. Um, I think that's all I have. Oh, I want to point out the, the Florida test rates. Let me just pull those up. And this is kind of alarming to me because um, I've been tracking this and I'm going to go over this with Texas as well. But Texas is improving, I think. Florida is not. So Florida COVID-19 cases. I've been watching this since uh, March 26th. And I think ProPublica said that what you want to watch, there's three things you want to watch when you track COVID-19 numbers. The new cases... Uh, the number of tests that are done, the number of deaths, and, and this is all new, the new the, the new deaths, the test results, and the percent positive of the test results. So if you're, and I think that last one, the percent positive is was something that I didn't really think about, but if your new cases are 10 and your test results are, you know, you tested 10 and you got 10, well, that's 100% positivity rate. So if you advertise 10 new cases, but don't advertise the number of tests that were run or the testing positivity rate, it looks like you just have 10 positives, which is extremely low. But the first day I tracked these was the 26th, and there was 5,773 new cases, 107 new deaths. Tests, the number of tests that were done were 68,608, which is a positivity rate of 8.41, and that was March 26th. Today is April 22nd, 
5,571 new cases, which pretty much, you know, 200 lower than that 326 date. 83 deaths, that's lower. Um, but with the 5571, there was only 60,880 60, tests, which is 8,000 less. So the positivity rate is higher, 9.15. So not only did Florida get worse since I started tracking it, the positivity rate is higher. So um, between March 26th and April 7th, there was not one day over 10 percent of positivity rate. It fluctuated between you know eight and eight and high nines, and then on April 8th it went up over 10. And there's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine days in that range over 10. Um, there's no days in that range under nine. Everything's in the high. Today was the lowest at 9.15. Um, the high was 11.84, and that was on the 19th. So Florida is not getting better with its positive COVID-19 rates. It's getting worse or staying the same. And what you want to do also is is cage it in a seven-day period to get the best average. And it's gone up in the past seven days pretty significantly. So keep that in mind if someone tries to tell you different. Uh, and that's, again, concerning. So we'll, I'll watch this also after, after the event to see if there's any kind of jump up. And these numbers are from Johns Hopkins. So it's something to really keep an eye on. And again, I'm also tracking Texas and Nevada now because Texas is going to be the next event. Nevada's opening up. And I'm, and I'm also tracking California for when they open up. Um, so I'm watching these things. And right now, out of that big group that I'm, the group that I'm watching, Florida is by far the biggest, uh, the highest percent positive, which not great, not great that that's the first place you start. If I was going by these percent positive numbers, I would start in California, but California is staying closed, and then I think the Nevada, Nevada was the next best one, and then Texas. So we'll really see how this plays out. And with the full crowd, I'm not optimistic, but we'll see. And don't look at this rate in the next week. It's going to be two weeks after the event where we'll see if there's any change. So the next, in two to three weeks, we should know what's going on and what effect this had, at least in the population in Florida. So we'll see. We'll see how it goes. But uh, the other thing to look at is the percent of fully vaccinated people in the state. And I think Florida is hanging around that 20%. So going to be real interesting to watch. And I'll be watching and I'll report on it when uh, when we get that uh, two to three weeks when we figure out what actually went down in Florida around UFC 261. And that's all I have. Might be back before the event, but I doubt it. Definitely be back after the event. So Stay tuned. I'll give you as much information as I can. And until next time, stay safe.